It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Pardon me, this is the operator. Today's conference will begin momentarily. Thank you for your patience and please continue to stand by. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by and welcome to the Tesla first quarter 2021 results and Q&A website. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the presentation, there will be a question and answer session. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star zero. I will now hand the conference over to your speaker today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host, and we have a really big show, and I am talking really fast. I don't even know why. I've only had two cups of coffee today and one energy drink, which is – you'd think that's a lot, but it's not a lot for me um, – or two cups of coffee and one energy drink. You know what? I don't know. I have a problem, I guess, that I can't remember how much caffeine I've put in my body. Anyway, I have taken two naps today, so – Obviously not enough. Um, what are we doing to here today? Oh, it's the Tesla Q1 2021 earnings call. And if you're new to the show, really simply, we just take the earnings call. I cut it up into the bits that I think are interesting. Then I'll comment on those clips very briefly. And then I set up the next clip until basically we just repeat that until I run out of clips. And that's the end of the show. I do cut out all the boring stuff, the things that I don't think are very interesting, because there's a lot of questions that everybody already knows the answers to that some of these analysts will get into. I throw those out. We don't listen to those. And before we get to Elon's opening remarks, I do have quick two quick things that I want to go over. First, we have a new Patreon supporter. Bruce, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Kilowatt community. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I really appreciate it. And then the $50 gift card, Amazon gift card that Chip and I were giving away. We are all out. Everybody has received a gift card and hopefully they are using it on cool things that make them happy. I do want to thank Chip for his incredibly generous donation. I feel pretty confident over the last couple of years that Chip's been involved with the show that he likes giving away things even more than I do. 
and um, I like having people like that around. So thank you very much, Chip. Hope everybody enjoys their gift card. And without further ado, ado, let's jump right into Elon's opening remarks. Q1 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. Uh, Tesla achieved uh, record production, deliveries, and surpassed a billion dollars in in non-GAAP net income for the first time. Uh, And we've seen a real shift in customer perception of electric vehicles, uh, and our demand is the the best we've we've ever seen. So this is, um, we're used to seeing a reduction in demand in the first quarter, uh, and we saw an increase in demand. Uh, This is that that exceeded the, the normal uh, seasonal uh, reduction in demand in Q1. Um, so um, Model 3 became the best-selling mid-sized premium sedan uh, in the world. In fact, I should say the, the best-selling uh, luxury sedan of any kind uh, in the world. The the BMW 3 Series was for the longest time the best-selling premium sedan. Uh, it's been exceeded by the Tesla Model 3. And this is only three and a half years into production and with just two factories. Um, for Model 3 to be out, outselling its combustion engine competitors, I think this is quite remarkable. In the past couple of quarters, we delivered uh, roughly a quarter million Model 3s, so uh, that, which translates to an annualized rate of half a million per year. Uh, when it comes to, to Model Y, uh, we think Model Y will be the best-selling car or vehicle of any kind in the world. Um, and probably next year. So um, I'm not 100% certain next year, but I think it's it's quite likely. I'd say more likely than not that in 2022, Model Y is the best-selling car or truck of any kind in the world. Uh, And with regard to full self-driving, full self-driving beta continues to make uh, great progress. But this is definitely one of the, I think one of the, the hardest technical problems that exists, uh, that's maybe ever existed. And uh, really, in order to solve it, we, we, we basically need to solve a pretty significant part of, of artificial intelligence, uh, specifically real-world artificial intelligence. Um, and that, that, AI, that, that sort of AI, the, the neural nets need to be compressed into a fairly small computer, a very efficient computer that we've designed, but nonetheless, you know, a small computer that's using on the order of 70 or 80 watts. Um, so this is, I think, a much harder problem than if you were to use, say, you know, 10,000 computers in a, in a server room or something like that. Uh, this this has got to fit into a smallish brain. Um, and this... I think with, with the elimination of radar, we, we, we're finally getting rid of one of the, the last um, crutches. Radar was really, uh, it, it, it was making up for some of the shortfalls of vision, but this is not good. You actually just need vision to work. And when vision works, it works, it, 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 it works better than the best human. Um, it's like having eight cameras. It's like having eyes in the back of your head, the sides of your head, and and, and three eyes at different focal distances looking forward. Um, this is, you know, um, and, and processing it at a speed that is superhuman. This, this, I, I, no, there's no question in my mind that uh, with a pure vision solution, uh, we can make a car that is dramatically safer than uh, the average person. So, but, but it is a hard problem because we are actually 
solving something quite fundamental about artificial intelligence, where we basically have to solve real-world vision AI. Um, and we are. So, um, and key to solving this is also having just a massive data set. So um, just having um, well over a million cars on the road uh, that, are, that are collecting data from uh, very sort of corner case rare situations. Um, you know, sort of like a, so many weird things in the world, like 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 a you know a truck carrying a truck, uh, or um, you know a um, a car with a with a, one example is like a car, an actual example, a car with a kayak on the roof, where the kayak has a little uh, a little weight dangling from the front of the kayak in front of the car. Um, and, and yet the car must ignore this uh, and just just look at the road. Um, so it, it's really quite quite tricky, um, but I am I am highly confident that we will get this done. So yes, uh, this this quarter, and I think we'll continue to see that a, a little bit in Q2 and Q3. Uh, so Q, Q1 was was had some of the most difficult supply chain challenges that we've ever experienced in the life of Tesla. Um, insane difficulties with uh, with supply chains, uh, with, with parts of, of over the whole range of parts. Um, obviously, people have heard about the, the the chip shortage. This is a this is a huge problem. Um, but then, it, you know, in, in addition to that, for, for example, we we um, uh, we had quite a bit of difficulty scale, scaling driving our production in China um, uh, because we were unable to get uh, critical engineers there because of, of COVID quarantine restrictions. So, uh, which meant that Tesla Worldwide was dependent on drive units uh, made at our factory in Nevada. Nevada. Um, so, that, that was a very challenging situation. I think we're mostly out of that particular problem. But that's just those just two of, of many challenges. So the team has really did done an incredible job of dealing with uh, really severe supply chain shortages. Um, so let's see, with respect to the Model S and X, um, there, there were more challenges than expected in uh, developing the uh, Plaid Model S, or what's called the, the Palladium program, um, which is the, the new version of Model S and X, which has a revised interior um, and a new battery pack and new drive units uh, and new internal electronics um, and, and has, for example, a, a PlayStation 5 level uh, infotainment system. Um, they're just a a lot of a lot of issues encountered um, ensuring that the new factory was as well super safe was, was quite hard because we're packing more energy in a smaller space, uh, so it took quite a bit of uh, of uh, development to ensure that the battery of, of the new SX uh, is safe. Um, and, and we're trying to get get all the details in the cars slowly uh, for the past few months. But we're we're just stacking them up in the yard and 
um, and, and, and just making refinements to the cars that we've built. Um, but we do expect um, to ramp uh, Model S production and start delivering them probably uh, next month. Um, so, um, and, and then to be in sort of fairly high volume production for the S in, in Q3 uh, and to start delivering Model X in Q3 as well. So, um, I think as we as we ramp up, I think probably the demand for the new SX will be quite high. Um, so, it's really just going to be a question of ramping supply chain and internal production processes. So, probably we're, we're like we're, we're going to aim to produce over two thousand SX per week. Um, perhaps you know if, if we get lucky, upwards of, of twenty four hundred or twenty five hundred. Um, this again is contingent on global supply chain issues, which are just a lot of factors outside of our control here. But but I, I do think we, these things will get sold, so it's just a matter of time, and, and then we'll be doing well over 2,000 uh, SX per week. Um, and it's, it's a great car. It, it actually costs us less to produce, a little bit less to produce, um, but it is a, a superior product. So in conclusion, there's, there's a lot to be excited about in 2021 and 22. Um, we're building factories as quickly, quickly as we can. Uh, both Texas and Berlin are, are progressing well, and we expect to have um, initial limited production from those factories this year uh, and volume production from Texas and Berlin next year. Um, at the same time, we're continuing to ramp production of Model Y in Fremont uh, and Shanghai. In the background, we're continuing work, development work on the Semi, Cybertruck, uh, the Roadster, and other products. Uh, thanks uh, to everyone at Tesla who made this year a huge success. All right. I was actually going to do a real quick rundown of, you know, run through of what Elon just talked about, but I, I don't have anything else to add to it. So we'll just leave it there and we will join Zach Kirkhorn, Tesla's master of coin for a financial update and as always these financial updates are mostly for the tesla shareholders that are in the audience so let's listen to zach so congratulations to the tesla team on breaking multiple records in the first quarter of 21 as elon had mentioned which is typically the most difficult of the year for many reasons to summarize the quarter i think it's best understood by three key items First, we successfully launched and began the ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, achieving positive gross margin in the first quarter of production and receiving a great reception from the market. Second, as Elon mentioned, although we began the production process for the Model S during the quarter, we had not yet begun customer deliveries. The reduction in Model S and X deliveries from Q4 to Q1 were a meaningful headwind to free cash flows and profit generation. For example, we incurred an estimated $200 million of direct P&L impact relating to this program in Q1, the majority of which is reflected in COGS, and that's before even considering the impact of lost revenue and profits as a result of the transition. And as, he mentioned, as Elon mentioned, we expect the first deliveries to begin shortly. Third, as we continue to work through the instability of the global supply chain, particularly around semiconductors and port capacities, while the Tesla team, in partnership with our suppliers, did tremendous work keeping our factories running, we did experience high expedite costs in the quarter, and they were also higher than they were in Q4. 
with some minor interruptions to production over the course of the quarter. But we believe that this landscape is improving, but it does remain difficult and it's an evolving situation. If we double click uh, within net income, auto gross margin excluding credits improves sequentially and year over year. This is in spite of the cost mentions for SNX and expedites and a reduction in global ASPs as our cost structure as a company is reducing at an even faster pace. So as we look out over the course of the year, we feel optimistic about our gross margin strength, uh, particularly as some of these headwinds we're experiencing start to be resolved. On services and other margins, these have recovered and are trending towards profitability, aided by strength in the used car business, operational improvements in service, and additional service revenue opportunities that help absorb fixed overheads. On energy gross margins, these remained negative for a second quarter. This is driven by solar roof-related ramp costs and winter seasonality in the lease BPA business. But we continue to manage through a multi-quarter backlog on Powerwall. We're working as fast as we can to increase production, and this will aid in profitability of this business as those volumes increase. Uh, on operating expenses, these increased for Q1, uh, which is driven by our investments in technology and growth. In particular, for R&D, this includes the structural battery pack and 4680 cells, uh, investments in the new SNX, and um, our neural net and silicon investments. On the SG&A side, we're setting up infrastructure and support for both China and EMEA in anticipation of volume to come there. And as I've said before, our plans show that we remain on track for sustained industry-leading operating margins. Uh, Double-clicking on, on cash flows, we continue to generate positive free cash flows, and this was despite the significant working capital headwinds from SNX. Additionally, we are making progress reducing various forms of debt. We also invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin during the quarter, then trimmed our position by 10%, which contributed to a small gain in our Q1 financials. Taking a step back, we've generated $8 billion in operating cash flows and $4 billion in free cash flows over the past four quarters. As we look forward, uh, our plans remain unchanged for long-term growth of 50% annually, and we believe we're on track to exceed that this year as we guided to last quarter. Uh, global demand remains meaningfully higher than production levels, and so we're driving as, as fast as we can to increase our production rates. As we think about Q2 and Q3, these quarters should largely be driven by execution on SNX, as we've discussed, continued ramp of Model Y in Shanghai, and the associated cost reductions of these programs. Um, and we expect profitability and cash generation to evolve over the course of the year in line with those improvements. And then as we get towards the end of the year, our story will pivot towards the launch and ramp of our newest factories in Austin and Berlin. So there's certainly no shortage of exciting things for us to work on and look forward to. So based on what we've heard so far, everything's coming up Millhouse for Tesla. So that's awesome for them. And I think it's going to continue improving as we go on. In our next clip, we're going to get the Say Questions, which is a service where retail investors ask the Tesla execs some questions. One of the questions, or the first question, I guess, that we're going to talk about is, could Dojo become a revenue source like AWS is for Amazon? If you don't know what AWS is, it's Amazon Web Services, and pretty much most of the things that you do on the internet are run off of AWS. Not everything, but a lot of them. And 
Amazon was like, they were selling books and they're like, Hey, let's use some of this leftover computing power. And we're going to sell this computing power to other companies. And then in, at some point it became Amazon's biggest cash cow. And I believe it still is. So now that I've explained Amazon and AWS, Dojo, um, Elon will explain a little bit of what Dojo is, but it's, it's a virtual training arena for Tesla's neural network. So all the cars that are out there are reporting data back to the network, and then the network is learning and building. Um, I don't want to say too much. The network is learning and then and then getting better over time. So that's where I'll leave that, and I'll let Elon explain the rest. How is Dojo coming along? Could Dojo unlock an AWS-like business line for Tesla over the next few years? It, although, like right now, people think of Tesla as a lot of people think Tesla is a car company or perhaps an energy company. Um, I think long-term people will think of Tesla as much as an AI robotics company as we are a car company or an energy company. Um, I think we are developing one of the strongest hardware and software AI teams in the world. Um, certainly, we, we appear to be able to do uh, things with full self-driving that, that others uh, cannot. So, um, and if you look at the evolution of uh, of what technologies we developed, um, we developed them in order to solve the problem of self-driving. So, we we couldn't find a powerful enough neural net in front a computer, so we designed and and built our own. Um, the the software out there was 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 a uh, really quite primitive for this task. And so we built a team from scratch um, and um, and have been developing what we think is probably the most advanced real-world uh, AI in the world. Um, and then it sort of makes sense that this is kind of what needs to happen because the, the road system is designed for a neural net computer, our brain. Our brain is a neural net computer. Uh, and it's designed, the, the entire road system is designed for vision with neural with a neural net computer, which is because it's designed for eyes in a brain. Um, and so, if you have a system which has very good eyes, uh, you can see in all directions at once. You can see three focal points ahead or forward, uh, but it never gets tired. It's never t sort of texting. Um, it has redundancy, um, and its reaction time is superhuman, then it seems pretty obvious that, that such a system would achieve an extremely high level of safety far in excess of the average person. So that's that's what, what, we're, what we're doing. Um, then Dojo is kind of the training part of that. So um, because we're, we're, we have over a million cars and you know perhaps you know next year we'll have two million cars in active use, um, providing vast amounts of video training data that then needs to be digested by, by a very powerful training system. And currently, we use uh, it's, it's Tesla training software. So we have a lot of we develop a lot of training software, uh, a lot of uh, labeling software to do um, to be able to do uh, surround video 
labeling, uh, which is quite tricky. Um, this means all eight cameras simultaneously at 36 frames a second per camera uh, labeling video over time. Um, there wasn't any tool that existed for this, so we developed our own labeling tool. Then taking it a step further, obviously the, you know, the, the holy grail is auto labeling. So now we're, we're getting quite good at auto labeling where we do, we do where, where the, the trainers train the training system um, and, and then the system auto labels the, the data and, and then the, the label, the human labels just need to look at the labeling to confirm that it is correct and perhaps make edits. And then every time an edit is made, that further trains the system. So it's kind of like a flywheel that's just sort of spinning up. Um, and, and really the only way to do this is with vast amounts of video data. Um, so then we need to train this efficiently. So Dojo is really a, uh, it, it is a supercomputer optimized for neural net training. Um, we think Dojo will be probably an order of magnitude more efficient on, a, on say, I'm not sure what the exact right metric is, but say per frame of video, uh, we think it'll be an order of magnitude more cost efficient in hardware and in uh, energy usage per frame of video compared to a GPU-based solution or compared to the next best solution that we're aware of. Um, so then, then you know, possibly that could be used by others. Um, it does seem as though over time, I mean, just as just an observation, I think basically just a fact that um, neural net-based computing or, um, you know, uh, AI-based computing is a more and more of the compute stack. Um, we, we, conventional computing, computing perhaps heuristics-based uh, uh, computing um, is still going to be important, still going to be very important, um, but uh, it, it, it will become, but, but neural net will become a, a bigger and bigger portion of, um, of compute. Uh, so anyway, um, that was a long story, but I think, yeah, probably others will want to use it too, and we'll make it available. So the very long answer to that question is yes, they're going to make it available. Another thing that I thought was interesting or two things that I thought were interesting is people thinking in the future of Tesla as not only a car and an energy company, but also as an AI and robotics company, which I would tend to um, agree with. I've been saying on this podcast almost since the very first day that I started it, that Tesla is not one company. Tesla is a lot of different companies. So um, they're just going to be this, this big megatron of, uh, different technologies that they use to make their products better, not only the cars, but on the energy side and who knows where that will go after that. Uh, 2 million cars by the end of the year. Do you think Tesla can sell a million cars in 2021? I do. Um, but email me your thoughts, Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. Let me know what you think. Let's get into the next clip, which is going to talk about the recent price increases for solar roof and how it's left some customers as being frustrated. 
Uh, the recent price changes on solar roof have been discouraging uh, for customers and investors. Could Tesla share more about solar roof challenges uh, and if uh, the outlook has, uh, has changed at all, uh, i.e. 1,000 uh, roofs per week? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I should say that the, the demand for the solar roof remains strong. So despite uh, raising the price, the demand is still um, significantly in excess of our ability to uh, to meet the demand to to install the solar roofs. So production is going fine, but but we are choked at the installation point. Um, we we did find that we we basically made some significant mistakes in uh, in assessing the difficulty of certain roofs. But the complexity of roofs varies dramatically. Some roofs are to be literally two or three times easier than other roofs. Um, so you just can't have a one-size-fits-all situation. Uh, if a roof has a lot of protuberances, um, or if the roof, or, or if the roof, uh, sort of uh, the core structure of the roof uh, is uh, is rotted out or is not not strong enough to hold the solar roof, uh, then the the costs can be two or can be double, sometimes three times uh, what we what our initial quotes were. Um, so in, in those cases, what we Obviously, offer to do is to, you know, refund customers their deposit, um, uh, and uh, but, but what we cannot do is is go and, and just lose a massive amount of money. Um, but we, we just got to provide a refund of the of the deposit. Um, but but perhaps what is um, I think most important about the solar situation, which I tweeted about you know, this past week, is that we're shifting the whole uh, the whole sort of solar situation, so the solar power, basically solar plus battery situation. To there's only one product, basically, or there's there's only one one configuration. Every house, but we, we we will not sell a house solar without a power wall. Um, the, that solar could either be solar retrofit, you know, with conventional panels put on a roof, or it can be the Tesla solar glass roof. Uh, but in all cases, it will have the power wall to technically this is, this is it's actually power wall to a plus, if you will. Um, the, the plus refers to a higher peak power capability. Um, so uh, basically, all power walls made since roughly November of last year uh, have um, a lot more peak power capability than uh, than 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 the specification on the website. Um, the, it, it, they have about twice the, the the power capability, roughly. It depends on how you count power, but uh, about twice the about twice the, the, the peak power, and about you know, arguably twice the the, the steady state power of, of the specification of the website. The energy is the same, but the power is is roughly double. Um, and uh, all installations, uh, so all installations will have the power wall, and the uh, the difficulty of the installation will, will dramatically increase. The, the difficulty of the, the, the installation will will be will be much less. It'll be much easier because uh, the the power from the from the solar roof, solar glass roof, or the the solar panels will only ever go to directly into the power wall, and the power wall will only ever go between the utility mains. But between the utility and the and the the main power panel of the of the house, 
uh, which means you never need to touch the main circuit breakers of the house. You never need to touch the house circuit breakers. Effectively, almost every house therefore looks the same electrically instead of being a unique work of art and requiring uh, exceptional um, ability to rewire the main panel. So uh, th th this is extremely important for scalability. It's, it's the only way to do it, really. Um, and th this also means that, that every uh, solar power wall installation, that the, the, the house or farm or whatever the case may be, uh, will be will be its own utility. And so even if all the lights go out in the neighborhood, you will still have power. So that, that gives people energy security. Um, and we can also, in working with the utilities, uh, use the power walls to, to stabilize the overall grid. So let's say that there's a, uh, like if there was in Texas, there was, there was a, a peak power demand. And, and that peak power demand, because the grid uh, lacked the ability to buffer the power, uh, they had to shut down power. There's no power, no power storage, no good, no good form of power storage. However, with a whole bunch of, of power walls at houses, um, we can actually buffer the, 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 the power. So, uh, so if, if the grid needs more power, we can actually then, um, with the consent, obviously, of the homeowner and, the, and, and in partnership with the utility, uh, we, we can then actually uh, release power onto the grid to take care of uh, peak power demands. So effectively, the power walls can operate as a giant distributed utility. This is profound. I'm not sure how many people will actually understand this, but this is extremely profound and necessary because we are headed towards a world where, uh, as, as we were just talking about earlier, where people are moving towards electric vehicles. This will mean that the, the power needs uh, in, in, at homes and businesses will increase Significantly, we will there will need to be a bunch more electricity coming somewhere. Um, in fact, if you go to full full renew, renewable electricity, we need about three times as much electricity as we currently have. That, so uh, these are rough numbers, but you roughly need twice roughly need twice as much electricity if, if, if all transport goes electric, and then you need three times as much electricity if all heating goes electric. So basically, this is a prosperous future, I think both for, for Tesla and for the utilities. Because, and, and in fact, I think this will, this will be very, if, if this is not done, the utilities will fail to serve their customers. They won't be able to do it. They won't be able to react fast enough. Um, and we're gonna see more and more of, of what we see, see in California and Texas, of, of, of uh, people seeing brownouts and blackouts and utilities not being able to respond because the, because of the, there's a massive change going on with the transition to electric transport, and we're seeing more extreme weather events. This is a recipe for disaster. Uh, so it is very important uh, to have uh, solar and batteries at the at the local level at the house. Uh, in addition, it is important to have uh, large battery storage at the utility level um, so that uh, solar and wind which are the main forms of renewable electricity uh, can be, that electricity can be stored because sometimes the wind doesn't blow, um, sometimes it blows a lot. 
uh, sometimes it blows too much, but sometimes it doesn't blow enough. Uh, but if you have a battery, you can store the energy and provide it, the energy to the grid as needed. The same goes for solar, because obviously the sun does not shine at night, uh, and sometimes it is very cloudy. And so uh, by having uh, battery storage paired with solar and wind, this is the long-term solution to a sustainable energy future. Um, and as I said, this, this really needs to occur both at the local level and at the utility level. It, it, the, if it doesn't occur at the, at the local level, what will actually be required is a, a massive increase in power lines, uh, in uh, power plants. So they have to put long distance, long distance and local power lines all over the place. They'll have to increase the size of the substations. Uh, it's a nightmare. This must occur. This, there, there must be solar plus battery. It's the only way. All right. A very passionate Elon at the end there. <laughs> In terms of the solar roofs and the price increases, uh, it's nice to hear him say, you know, we made some mistakes in assessing the roofs and it's not a good one size fits all, um, you know, solution for the solar roof, which I mean, I would agree. And roofs can be um, weird because whoever designed the house was looking for a certain look. And they could also be weird because, Somebody was looking to save some money, and they just did their own thing with the roof, and that that just kind of adds a it throws you for a loop because people will uh, surprise you in what they th- and how they overcome whatever problem they're having. So uh, I'm not going to talk too much more about that. Did learn a little bit more about the Powerwall Plus. Um, I do, th- and and then also it pairing the Powerwalls with the uh, solar. Um, panels or solar roof. And the reason why they did that was so that they don't have to necessarily feed that electricity back into the grid. I mean, they can like with permission from the homeowner and cooperation of the utility, and that will bolster the grid during emergencies or high peak times. This is something that they've been doing in Europe for a while. And I reported on this when I first started the podcast, actually. But in those cases, the utility companies actually subsidize the power wall. And I think the utility gets like 20% of the power wall or something like that, or the option to use 20% of the power wall, some percentage like that. And then during peak times, the utility can pull from that. And not only do they subsidize the power wall or battery backup, I shouldn't say power wall in every case. I'm sure there's different battery solutions out there, but I'm not sure. I know there are, but not only do they subsidize it, but they will also pay for the energy that they use uh, back to the homeowner. So this doesn't sound like that's what's going to be going on in the U.S., but that's what happens in several European countries, or it used to. I don't, I haven't kept up on it to see if it still happens that way. In our next clip, Zach Kirkhorn is going to discuss Tesla's strategies when it comes to digital currencies like Bitcoin. Master of Coin, can you tell us anything about Tesla's future plans in digital currency space or when any such major developments might be revealed? So, as I noted in our opening remarks and we've announced previously, so Tesla did invest $1.5 billion into Bitcoin in Q1 and then we subsequently sold a 10% stake in that. We also allow customers to make vehicle deposits and final vehicle purchases using Bitcoin. And so where our our Bitcoin story began, maybe just to share a little of the context here, um, Elon and I were looking for a place to store cash that wasn't being immediately used, uh, try to get some level of return on this, but also preserve liquidity. You know, particularly as we look forward to the launch of Austin in Berlin 
and uncertainty that's happening with semiconductors and uh, port capacity, being able to access our cash very quickly is super important to us right now. And, you know, there, there aren't many traditional opportunities to do this, or at least that we found and in talking to others that we could get good feedback on, particularly with yields being so low and without taking on additional risk or sacrificing liquidity. And um, and Bitcoin seemed at the time and, and so far has proven to be uh, a good decision, uh, a good place to place some of our cash that's not immediately being used for daily operations or, or maybe not needed till the end of the year and um, be able to get some return on that. And, you know, I, I think one of the key points that I want to make about our experiences in the digital currency space is that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. You know, we're certainly watching it very closely at Tesla, watching how the market develops, listening to what our customers are saying. But, you know, thinking about it from a corporate treasury perspective, we've been quite pleased with how much liquidity there is in in the Bitcoin market. So our, our ability to build our first position happened very quickly. Uh, when we did the sale later in March, we also were able to execute on that very quickly. And so as we think about kind of global liquidity for the business and risk management, uh, being able to get cash in and out of the markets is something that I think is exceptionally important for us. So we do believe long-term in the value of Bitcoin. So it is our intent to hold what we have long-term and continue to accumulate Bitcoin from uh, transactions from our customers as they purchase vehicles. You know, specifically with respect to things we may do, there are things that we're constantly discussing. We're not planning to make any announcements here. We're watching this space closely. So when we're ready to make an announcement on this front, if there's one to come, you know, we'll certainly let you all know. All right. So when this whole thing happened, I'm not going to say I wasn't interested in it because that's I, I I'm you know I dabble in digital currencies. Uh, I don't have a lot of money in it, but I own different types of digital currencies. I just sold my last little bit of Bitcoin, fractional shares of Bitcoin. Um, I didn't make a lot of money, but had a little bit of money, and I reinvested that into other different types of currencies that are out there. I even own a little bit of Dogecoin because it's cheap and it's fun to own. But having said that, um, I'm not a financial advisor. Don't listen to anything I say. I do I do think that it's interesting that the reason why they did this was to store some unused cash that could still be liquid and a good investment. I just figured there's enough Bitcoin millionaires and billionaires out there. Maybe Tesla was just looking at a different way to sell their cars to these folks without them having to, you know, transfer it to cash and then pay fees on that. And it takes time for that whole transfer to process to happen. But no, like they're looking at it as an investment and a, a way that they can invest, but still use the money if they need to. So I think that's great. That's a perspective that I had not thought of. And obviously Tesla's high on Bitcoin. It'd be interesting to see what coins or what currencies they're interested in outside of Bitcoin. Like some coins are proof of stake versus proof of work. Now, if you don't know what that means, uh, this isn't a digital currency um, podcast, so I'm not going to go over it, but look into the world of digital currencies. It's it, There's a lot of really cool things happening there. Even if you don't invest in them, which I wouldn't recommend it because it's highly volatile, <laughs> but 
Um, it is an interesting way that these currencies are, are developing. Moving on. Our next question is all about uh, how Tesla is combating the unfairness in the mainstream media. And I will say, like, I, I, I love Tesla. I'm a Tesla fan. I'm an Elon fan. Um, I do think some of these things get blown out of proportion, both on the Tesla community side and on the media side. So instead of hearing how Tesla plans on dealing with that misinformation, we're going to hear a lot about that crash that happened that we talked about uh, last week. So let's listen to Tesla's response. Does Tesla have any proactive plans to tackle mainstream media's imminent, massive, and uh, deceptive uh, clickbait headline uh, campaigns on safety of autopilot or FSD, uh, perhaps specialty PR job of some sort? Uh, well, uh, I can, I'll take this one, guys. From, from the safety side, I continue to say, uh, say if you want to safety is driving yeah, point. And all. Go ahead, Elon. I, know, I think, if, 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 please go ahead. Uh, if, I think it's special worth just uh, going through the facts of the uh, w- what uh, I mean specifically there there were uh, there was an article regarding um, a, a tragedy where, where uh, there was a high speed accident in, in Tesla that uh, and there was re- really just um, extremely deceptive uh, media practice, practices where it was claimed to be autopilot where this is completely false uh, and those journalists should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, please go ahead, Lars. Yeah, thanks, Elon. So I was just saying we're, we're committed to safety in all our designs, and that's you know number one in what we do here. Um, regarding the crash in Houston specifically, we work directly with uh, the local authorities, NTSB and NHTSA, wherever applicable, and whenever they reach out to us for help, directly on the engineering level and whatever else we can support. Um, in that vein, we did a, a, a study with them uh, over the past week um, to understand what happened in that particular crash. And what we've learned from that uh, effort was that auto steer did not and could not engage on the road condition that uh, as it was designed, uh, our adaptive cruise control only engaged when a driver was buckled in above five miles per hour. Um, and it only accelerated to 30 miles per hour over the distance um, uh, before the car crashed. Um, as well, uh, adaptive cruise control disengaged the car slowly to complete to a stop uh, when the driver's seatbelt was unbuckled. Through further investigation of the vehicle and uh, accident remains, um, we inspected the car with NTSB and NHTSA and the local police, and we were able to find that the steering wheel was indeed deformed, so there must, leading to the likelihood that someone was in the driver, driver's seat at the time of the crash, and all seatbelts post-crash were found to be unbuckled. Um, we were unable to recover the data from the, the, uh, data, uh, the SD card at the time of impact, but the local authorities are working on doing that, and we await their report. Um, as I said, we, we continue to hold safety in a high regard and, 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 and um, look to improve our products in the future uh, through this kind of data and other uh, information from the field. All right. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember <laughs> exactly what we talked about last week in regards to this uh, car accident. I can't remember exactly what I said. So short of going back and listening to it, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to maybe rehash some things here. Uh, the big thing that stuck out to me is the fact that the steering wheel was deformed. That is a, a common uh, problem when people hit the steering wheel, it will deform. So it sounds like based off of that, maybe there was somebody in the driver's seat. We don't know, but maybe there was. And because of the impact, 
um, they were removed from the driver's seat and, and placed somewhere else. Like, it is weird what can happen to your body, even when you're not traveling at a high rate of speed, but you're traveling at, let's say, 35, 40 miles an hour, and you hit something that instantly stops your vehicle. Well, all of that momentum goes somewhere. And as a general rule, if you hit something with the front of your car, it goes forward. So your body is going to take all of that momentum and that energy, and it's going to go forward. And it does or will uh, deform the steering wheel. Another thing that we look for in terms of whether someone was wearing their seatbelt or not is, is there a star on the window? And that's not always a good indication because if the airbags went off, that'll typically break the front windshield or crack it, not break it. But if the airbags didn't go off and there's a star on the window and typically there's hair hanging off of that uh, star, that little break, um, that's an indication that somebody wasn't wearing their seatbelt. That's kind of what first responders look at to determine how much uh, damage the body took during the accident. And there's a couple other things we could go over, but I don't want to get too morbid in this uh, segment. But um, the steering wheel being deformed is definitely, it's definitely possible that there was somebody in the front seat if the steering wheel is deformed. I don't know exactly what happens to a steering wheel for, at a, you know, with a Tesla when the airbag goes off. And I mean, I, there's, there's variables where I could be wrong. So don't quote me at that as being an expert. Um, just in my experience, a steering wheel being deformed indicates that somebody was in the front seat and struck the steering wheel. And I'll make sure to report back to you when the agencies involved finally come out with their report, which can take a while. So, but I'll keep an eye on the story and we'll report back to you once we hear back. All right. In our next clip, we're going to find out if lithium ion batteries are good for energy storage at scale, or if there's something out there that might be better. Uh, proponents of alternative grid storage technologies claim that lithium ion is unsuited for long-term storage at scale due to vampire drain. Could 4680 uh, cells address this limitation? Is the limitation even relevant <laughs> for charging the energy equation? Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, just let me yep. jump in on the vampire drain. Yeah. drain. That's definitely not the issue. A uh, good uh, lithium ion cell self-discharges less than 0.001% of its energy per day. So it, it has, this vampire drain is maybe a non-sequitur. No. Yeah. <laughs> as mythical as vampires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the challenge with seasonal storage is your value proposition drops from hundreds of useful full cycles per, day, per year to less than maybe 10 or maybe even less than five cycles per year. Um, so it's just a different type of technology, you know, altogether that would make sense, given that it's more than an order of magnitude different use case. Yeah. I mean, we've got a long way to go before we're dealing with seasonal technology uh, issues. Um, but, but certainly a way to deal with seasonal technology uh, would be to um, have uh, wind and solar um Starting on the side of more more southerly latitudes, um, and and uh, but but then across uh, 
a variety of longitudes. So essentially, like let's say in the U.S., for example, if there was, uh, you know, I'm not sure if people understand that you you can actually power the entire United States with just sort of a hundred, roughly a a hundred mile by hundred mile grid of solar. Um, sometimes people don't don't quite understand, like, well, how much solar is needed to power the United States? Almost almost nothing of the of the the substance is true of, of almost a, any country in the world. Um, the solar incidence is a gigawatt per square kilometer. This is insane. Uh, in fact, if you took the clear area, just the, the area uh, for, say, for nuclear power plants, the area that is considered not usable uh, because a nuclear power plant is there, in most cases, if you just put solar there, it would generate more power than in, than the nuclear power plant. This is because they typically have pretty wide clear areas. Um, so uh, it really so, so and um, if you have say 25% efficient solar panels, um, and and then those are 80% efficient in, in how they're laid out, you're going to do about 200 megawatts per square kilometer. Uh, this is, therefore. You know, five square kilometers is a gigawatt, which might be a, a typical sort of power plant. Um, it's, it's really not much area at all. And a lot of places can have wind and solar, same place. So um, anyway, it's, it's entirely possible to power all of Earth with a small percentage of Earth's area. Um, and then to transmit that power uh, through... Um, High voltage DC lines. No new technology. No, no. Uh, you don't need like um, you know room temperature superconductors. This is a total, also another myth. Room temperature superconductors uh, almost irrelevant in my opinion. Almost irrelevant. <laughs> um, low cost, long distance power lines using copper or aluminum or very important. Um, so. Heating is I squared R, so that's current squared times time resistance. So as you increase voltage, uh, you can drop the current dramatically and drop the heating dramatically to the point where it is uh, of, of minor relevance. Like maybe you lose 5 to 7% uh, with a high-voltage DC power line, something like that. Um, so I want to be clear, no physics is necessary, no new materials is necessary, we just need to scale this thing up. We have the technologies exist today to to solve renewable energy. And some of people say, "Well, why don't we do it?" That's because the energy basis of the Earth is gigantic, super mega, insanely gigantic. So you can't just go and do a zillion terawatts overnight. You've got to build the, the production capacity for the cells, uh, for the battery cells, for the solar cells. You've got to put that into vehicles. You've got to put that into stationary storage packs. You've got to put that into solar panels and solar glass roofs. And you've got to deploy all this thing, all this stuff. But, but it is certainly the case that we can accelerate this. Um, and we should try to accelerate it. Um, and uh, the, the, the right thing to do, I think, from an economic standpoint, and I think almost any economist would agree, is to have a carbon tax, um, just as we have a tax on um, cigarettes and alcohol, uh, which we think are more likely to be bad than good, and we, we tend to tax fruit, fruit and vegetables less, 
the same should be true. We should we should tax energy that we think is probably bad and support energy we think is probably good, just like service and alcohol versus fruits and vegetables. Um, it's just common sense. Um, and, uh, you know, but I guess on the plus side, I'm not suggesting anyone be complacent, but sustainable energy, renewable energy will be sold. It is being sold, but it matters how fast we solve it. And if we solve it faster, that's better for the world. Thank you very much. And, and well, there's, there's, no, there's no question in my mind whatsoever that the energy storage problem can be solved with lithium-ion batteries. Zero. I want to be clear. Zero. Um, I, I think the bias will tend to be uh, towards um, iron-based uh, lithium-ion cells. When people say lithium-ion, people think lithium must be a, a, a big constituent of the cells. It's, it's, it's more like 1% to 2% of the cell is lithium. Um, the, the, the main part of the cell is the cathode. The, the main mass and cost in the cell is the cathode. For high energy uh, cells, um, like for example, we, what we use in most uh, most houses have, have nickel-based lithium-ion cells, which have higher energy density, longer range than iron-based cells. However, stationary storage, uh, the energy density is not as important because um, just sitting on the ground, and so uh, I think the vast majority of stationary storage will be uh, iron, iron-based um, lithium-ion cells with an iron, cap, iron, uh, iron phosphate cathode, technically. But I think the phosphate part is unnecessary. It's really just iron or nickel. Um, unnecessary in the terminology. I just, just think of it as iron or nickel. Uh, and this, there's an insane amount of iron in the world. Uh, more iron than we could possibly use. Uh, and there's also more lithium than we could possibly use. Basically, there is no shortage of anything whatsoever yeah in iron plus like cells. Elon was passionate during this earnings call. Um, sorry if my voice sounds a little rough. I started recording this on Thursday and it is now 4.30 a.m. on Friday. Uh, I just woke up, so my voice isn't quite warmed up yet. I, I feel like it's very gravelly. Anyway, uh, I wasn't sure he was going to answer the initial question when he went into the, the solar stuff, which we've heard him talk about before. Um, and then he went into finally answering the question, which was, yes, he thinks lithium ion batteries will be fine. And Tesla is actually using the iron phosphate cells in their lower end models in China. And I'm sure they'll bring that to the United States at some point. So, um, he probably knows what he's talking about. If I had to guess. Speaking about knowing what he's talking about, in our next question, Elon's going to talk about vehicle production and Giga Berlin. Uh, you've suggested that between a, a 5x to 10x improvement is achievable in the automotive production versus the uh, uh, versus the first Model 3 line on the first uh, principles physics analysis. Uh, where does Berlin sit? Where does Berlin sit relative to that limit? Oh, I, I think we're so we're so quite far away from it. Um, I mean, the, the thing to bear in mind with with production is, uh, for those who have not, who've never done production, they just don't understand how insanely hard production is. Um, I, I want to really be very, very emphatic here. Prototypes are trivial. 
their child's play. Production is hard. It is very hard. Now you say production at, 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 very, at large scale with higher liability and low cost, insanely difficult. But what Tesla achieved on the automotive side was not to create an electric car. The, the truly profound thing on the, on the car side is that Tesla was the first American car company to achieve volume production of a car in 100 years and not go bankrupt. So this is, this, this, I basically, myself and many others at Tesla had to basically have several aneurysms to get this done. It was, it was so hard, you have no idea. So anyway, and, and the thing about making a large complex manufactured object is let's say you have first order approximation, 10,000 unique items. If even one of those items is slow, that sets your weight, just one. Doesn't matter how, it can be so trivial. We've, we've had uh, production, production, uh, stop because of carpet in the trunk. We had production stop because of a USB cable. At one point for the Model S, the, we literally raided every uh, electronics store in the Bay Area. <laughs> for, for, for a few days there, nobody could buy a USB cable in the Bay Area because we, we, we went and bought them all to put them in the car. Um, <laughs> literally. And there's, they're like, Hundreds of stories like that. So anyway, that, that's the, the solving that those constraints and 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 a, and a logistics problem that makes World War II look trivial. I, I'm not kidding. Like the scale is insane. Um, you know, we're talking millions of cars, supply, massive global supply chain, um, 50 countries, uh, dozens of regulatory regimes. Um, it's insane. So I love this clip in because I, I don't necessarily think that he answered the question in the way that the person who asked the question wanted him to, like it gave that detail. But he gave so much other detail on the, the small, teeny tiny production issues that Tesla's had that has caused delays that I, I left it in because I thought that was very interesting. In our next clip, we're going to hear a little bit about the urban transport vehicle that we heard about when... Elon updated the master plan part duh. So let's listen to that clip. Master plan uh, part two talks about an urban transport vehicle that is smaller than traditional bus with greater uh, aerial density achieved by removing the central aisle. Do you have any updates to share on this goal? Not this time. Very brief update. All right, we've gone through the retail investors, the institutional investors. Now we get to hear from the analysts. And the first analyst question is all about the 4680 battery. First question is from Pierre Ferrago with New Street Research. Your line is open. I'd love to get actually an update on what you, you presented on the battery day. Uh, in the last six, seven months, I, won't, I was wondering how much progress you've made uh, on that front. First, in terms of process development, so... How are things coming together on your pilot line? Are you getting to the kind of uh, production throughput you were aiming for? And, and second, actually, on your production ramp. So I was wondering in, in which sites you're ramping production capacity for the, the 4680 cell uh, and, and where you stand uh, on, uh, on ramping up that capacity as well. 
and I'll have a quick follow up on energy as well, if that's possible. Well, um, so we're, we have the, I'm sure Kelsey adds to this, but uh, we, we have the, the, the a small sort of pilot plant, which is still big by normal standards, expected to have like a 10 gigawatt per year, gigawatt hour per year capability uh, in um, Fremont, California. Um, and uh, we've made quite a few cells. Um, we're not we're not quite yet at the point where we think the cells are re reliable enough to be shipped in cars, um, but we're getting close to that point. Um, and um, and then we're, we're, we've already uh, you know uh, ordered um, most of the equipment for battery production uh, in Berlin. Uh, and uh, and then and, and then much of it for Austin as well. Um, so we're we're really down to like the nitty gritty elements. Um, but overall, I think we're still sort of quite optimistic about uh, this achieving volume production of the forty six eighty next year. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just one thing I would add is there's been a lot of questions about uh, yields. Actually, I noticed people asking about that, and uh, you know the yield progress has been really strong uh, every day. When we were really still in commissioning phase, we were really still in commissioning phase with most of the tools uh, to the point where we're confident that the yield trajectory aligns with our internal cost projections. Um, we did talk about yield also at Battery Day, which is one of the reasons why it's, it's useful to check in on that. Um, you know, it takes a while, as Elon just mentioned, to go from uh, prototype to production, and it's not just parts, it's processes, it's equipment. Um, but as we've matured those pieces of the process, the process equipment, we've we've gotten to where we need to be on on the yield side. Yeah, and basically, this is just a guess because we don't know for sure, but it appears as though we are about twelve. That they're probably not more than 18 months away from volume production of the, 80, of the 4680. Um, now, at the same time, we we are actually trying to uh, have our our cell supply uh, partners uh, ramp up their supply as much as possible. So this is not uh, something that is to the exclusion of suppliers. It is in, in conjunction with suppliers. Um, so yeah. we're you know we're, we want to be super clear about that. This is not about replacing suppliers. It is about supplementing uh, suppliers. So um, we have a very strong partnership with with CATL, with Panasonic, and LG. Um, and we would our request to our um, strategic partners for cell supply is please make as please supply us with as as much as you possibly can, um, provided the, the price is affordable. We will buy. Uh, everything that they can make. Yeah, yeah, and specific to that, we've we're on track to more than double the supplier capacity over the next 13. We, we, we exactly we, we do expect from suppliers willing to receive double the cell output next year versus this year. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this doesn't sound like it bodes very well for Cybertruck. Last week, or maybe it was the week before, Elon was at Giga Texas and. He didn't give an update on Cybertruck. He did talk about, you know, production timelines for the Model Y at Giga Texas, but he didn't go into the Cybertruck timelines. 
which a lot of people found interesting. And then uh, he gives this update. So it doesn't sound like they're going to ship any cyber trucks in 2021 like they thought they would, like at the end of 2021. Now, granted, Elon might be sandbagging on these timelines because if he does and he beats them, then they look like heroes. And if they meet them, then he looks like he's making good choices. And if they don't meet them, uh, everybody thinks Tesla is doomed. So I kind of understand what he's doing there with the timelines. But it it may not be that we see the Cybertruck until late 2022, um, which is a little surprising to me, but interesting. Um, I did think it was also interesting that they're going to double battery suppliers. Uh, that's that's pretty insane, uh, considering how much batteries they use now, and they're going to double them. Uh, just just a huge amount. All right. There was a question about full self-driving subscription rollout. I'm not going to play that question here to save some time. Basically, there's some technical issues that they're trying to overcome. The business um, model is is complete and they're ready to roll it out as soon as they solve these technical problems, which hopefully will be in May. In our last clip, we're going to learn about what it's going to take for Tesla to get us that $25,000 car. What What improvements do we need to make? So let's listen to that. Thank you from Dan Levy with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, good evening. Thanks. Um, two, two questions. Uh, one is, is on COGS. I think we've gotten from Battery Day a pretty good feel about the potential for COGS reduction related to powertrain. But I'd like to get a sense of the path to reducing COGS X powertrain. Is, uh, you'd still need a meaningful reduction on that front. Uh, to make the math work on a $25,000 vehicle. So what levers do you have to reducing your cost X powertrain? Is it just more scale, better supplier pricing, or is it just based on ongoing cost reductions? Sure. I mean, I think uh, all of the above. All right, folks, that is it for the Q1 2021 Tesla earnings call. Overall, I think it was a pretty decent earnings call. It's not as exciting as it used to be. Elon used to just let a bunch of information slip and you could hear the people in the board and in the room just groaning internally because they're like, don't talk about that. Elon's much more measured. I do think that it's good that they take the questions from, say, from retail and institutional investors because that gives them a voice and they have significantly reduced the voice uh, or the questions from the analysts at these earning call earnings calls. So yeah, that's it for me. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you want to email me, it's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E at 918digital.com. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at 918digital. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com. If you want to learn more about Bitcoin, check out the podcast Modern Finance with Kevin Rose or digital currencies and NFTs in general. Um, that's a really good place to start. And then next week, we're going to have James and Howard on the show, and we are going to talk all about the Hyundai Kona. And hopefully you guys learn a little bit more about a vehicle that doesn't have a T on the front of it. Let's see here. I feel like I'm forgetting things. Bruce, I mailed out your Patreon rewards. 
man, I feel like there's something else that I'm missing here, but I can't remember what it is. So I hope everyone has a great week and uh, we will chat next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.